The following is an exclusive presentation of News Radio KMAN, your home for K State Athletics. It's game time. This is the game on News Radio KMAN. Troy, if you don't mind, as we kick off the show, tell us the story of the issue in the parking lot this morning. This morning? Yeah. Or a beautiful fountain? Yeah, what happened? So, here's the part of this. There's the front end of this that none of us are for sure as to exactly what occurred. We just know the aftermath. And that is that as those of us that were coming in to pull early hours this morning... We're pulling into parking spaces and the like. We were greeted by this wonderful mist that had us going, what's happening? Why is there? Oh, fire hydrant basically essentially blew up out in front of what is a storage building here in the parking lot. Uh, So on the other side of the fence, city property. Uh, I was wondering so, why there was so much snow and stuff out there. I was like, what happened? <laughs> that's exactly what it was. It turned the parking lot into literally an ice sheet first. Yeah, an absolute mess, right? Correct. And then it kind of converted itself over to snowish. It I, was it was interesting because all of us as we're coming in are like, yeah, that that's not good. That's That ain't good. Yeah, that line right there in this whole story feels like the perfect metaphor of K-State going to Allen Fieldhouse the last 17 games and trying to pull off a victory. Yeah, that's not good. Just arriving in this situation at a point just turns into a mess. Unfortunately, those that worked morning shows found a mess upon arrival. Some days it takes a little bit later than others. But the first question I was asked after the game, after leaving Allen Fieldhouse last night at about 1045-ish. So did you have a good time? No. (laughs) No, I did not. Who had the utter nerve to ask you that question? Well, and uh, a friend of mine, a KU fan, (laughs) wanted to rub it in a little bit. Yeah, okay. As a matter of fact, it was a a text uh, from a friend that lives out in western Kansas, and he... he, Yes, a trash... the trash talking started early in the day. Sure. But didn't really hear from them during the game. And then as soon as that game ended, I saw the message pop up. And I didn't read it because I was trying to head into the press conference. And then it was like, did you have fun at the game? No, I did not. As a matter of fact, it started before I even got into the game. The whole credential mess is a whole other story. Oh, boy. Uh, but, of course, we're going to cover this game and the loss to uh, the Kansas Jayhawks last night in Allen Fieldhouse. Number seven falls to number eight. 90 to 78. Now, seven straight losses for Kansas State. And that was the 299th edition of the Dillon Sunflower Showdown. Cats have still not won in Allen Fieldhouse since 2006. We wanted it so bad. And it was a frustrating loss. It really was. Just another night at Allen Fieldhouse. But of course, we all know what today is, right? Well, yeah, what's AEW got going tonight? Let me do my thing here. Okay. It's Wednesday. You know what that means. AEW Dynamite tonight in somewhat of the stomping grounds of our, of our good friend Derek Young from K-Stand Line, who's going to join us in a few seconds. 
It's in Dayton, Ohio. And it's at the Nutter Center. Featuring Darby Allen versus Samoa Joe for the TNT Championship. John Moxley, Hangman Adam Page, all tonight, 7 to 9 o'clock on TBS. But of course, that also means to kick off the show, jerking the curtain, is Derek Young from KCN Online. D.Y., how far is Dayton from where you grew up? Uh, just an hour, actually. Have you ever been to the Nutter Center? Uh, I think for a concert. I think I saw Lincoln Park there. Okay. How many seats are we talking? I think it's like, I want to say it's like 15,000, 20,000. Oh, I don't wow. okay. I can't remember. It's smaller. It's not where the first four is. Is that a different venue? Yeah, that's UD Arena. Okay. Yes, their I own. Really- their own facility. Uh, UD Arena is actually where I played against OJ Mayo and Bill Walker. <laughs> oh, you played against them? Oh, yeah, in high school because they played it for. And this is how like unfair it was. Obviously, OJ Mayo and Bill Walker both ended up playing in the NBA. Bill Walker for Kansas State. They were play. I I graduated from a high school with only eighty kids in my class, and they were in our only. division. So they were playing against like, you know. 80 member senior classes type high schools so that that's the size of their school that they were playing for that particular year so they just like stomped everybody it wasn't fair did, only did any of them guard you or did you have to guard them i don't think i guarded anyone but i definitely got dunked on by bill walker <laughs> well I've, I've told i've told this story many times dy you wouldn't remember this player is before you arrived to cover the cats but freddie espria was a uh, was a one and done basically for the Cats. He transferred in, but he had a uh, so when he had to sit out a year, he transferred in and he went to uh, Cloud County Community College, and that's where I went to school. That's where Frank was sending the transfers when they had to sit out, and he would play pickup basketball. Uh, Amari Lawrence was another example of a player that also went to uh, Cloud before coming to K State, and they would play pickup basketball. Amari was great. He would actually like I got better at basketball. I stunk at basketball like in high school. But in college, I'd get better. Omari Lawrence was actually kind of coaching me once in a while on a few things I could work on. He was a big help. Freddie Espria once, and I put up a floater from um, from the keyhole. And Freddie swatted me from under the basket. <laughs> and I've told that story many times. But that's the only really interaction I've ever had with a college basketball player. Uh, D.Y., you were in Allen Fieldhouse last night. Did You You didn't have any issues getting in, did you? Because I had all the issues. No, I, I think you saved all of the issues for yourself. I, no concerns getting in or getting to my seat or anything of that nature. I was just on the back row, so I had like fans like right behind me. So that was a little bit of an uncomfortable experience. It's also, you like, it's not really great for your posture, the way that they set up at least the back row, like you're, your desk or your table that's in front of you, you're sitting on a hard wooden bench and the the desk in front of you or the table really is just like so far forward that you're just like lunging forward the entire night. So my back is a little off today as well. I was at a 45-degree angle actually leaning forward most of that game because, one, you know, I'm a fan, so I'm a little bit nervous and, you know, it wasn't going K-State's way. I was reacting quite a bit, uh, not out loud or anything, just with my body. But I also had a KU guy sitting next to me, and he was cheering and hooting and hauling. I was like, God, come on. It's amateur hour over here. Let's do better, guys. Um, But, no, when I arrived at Allen Fieldhouse, no parking pass, no credential, didn't have anything Ouch. for me. And I, they're like, 
did you apply for a credential? And I was like, I had the email ready to go. I was like, dog, I did it two weeks ago. And he approved it a week and a half ago. It's like, oh my God, what happened? But also I thought like the details in the email were wrong too. Wasn't gate 10, it was gate 12, guys. Let's get those things corrected. <laughs> uh, cats lose by 12, DY. Um, so you would put it out there on Twitter, you know, on the box score. K-State pretty much lost in every single category. You could run your finger down. You know, offensively, shots weren't going in, wide open shots, getting to the hoop was a bit of a disaster at times. Turnover's an issue, right? Defensively, Cats struggled with the Jayhawks turning offense into defense after making those stops. A number of things went wrong defensively as well, and also very upset about a lot of the whistles. Where did it go worse for K-State last night? Even though they just lost by 12, right? That, that's kind of a shocker how a lot of things went wrong and still lost by just 12 points. Well, where did it go wrong the most? I would say there was a stretch near the end of the first half, really, when Kansas built out their double-digit lead that they never really surrendered a few times where it got down to eight points, of course. But I thought it was just that stretch in particular. I think it was 37-32, to 32, I want to say. Keontae Johnson goes in for a dunk, misses the dunk. K goes down, hits a three. On the other end, a couple consecutive heat checks, basically, from Keontae Johnson and Marquise Noel. Kansas capitalizes again uh, with buckets of their own. Those are, it doesn't show up as their turnover or points off turnovers, but it kind of felt like that because then you get the long rebound and it's an easy run out for the Jayhawks. And and then a couple turnovers by Tomlin and Noel. So you're you're a missed dunk away from being 37 to 34, like five minutes left, I want to say, or or six minutes left. Uh, instead, two minutes later, and you're down, I want to say it was like 45 or 46 to 32. Um, and Kansas State just never really got back into the game at that point. So I think that stretch was pretty problematic. And, and as you said, I mean, in ways, just because the, a lot didn't go their way, um, fortunate and, you know, probably says a lot good about Kansas State, too, that they only did lose by 12 because, like I mentioned, Kansas was better from the three-point line. Kansas shot better. They made seven more buckets. They made four more threes. They won points off turnovers by nine. They won second chance points by five. They won bench points by ten. They won points in the paint by eight. And they won fast break points by nine. Those five things, they won in all those categories by a combined 41 points. If you had told me that before the game, that they were going to win by 41 points in those five departments... Um, I probably think their margin of victory is greater than 12. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, talk about the fight that this K-State team has. Uh, they, I think, you know, a few more things go KU's way once again. This could have be, been a lot uglier, but the Cats had fight, and I think they really adjusted to the way the game was called after, you know, Coach Tang picks up a technical foul in the second half. You see him be a little bit more aggressive, draw more fouls, and yeah, just a ton of ticky-tack type of stuff. And the way the officials were calling it, it was dreadful to watch 47 fouls get called. Oof. And uh, I, I went back and watched some of those calls, man. The, the charge on Cam Carter was just atrocious. And it was so just so crazy to see how many ticky-tack fouls there were. But D.Y., could you argue that maybe the way the game was ge- being called – was actually a favor in a way to K-State to keep them in the game the way they were hitting free throws. Yeah, you could say that because really the, the, the one phase that they did reasonably win was the free throw line where they only shot one more free throw, but they scored six more points at the line 
just because they shot better from the free throw line. They were 86%. Kansas was 71%. I mean, the two teams shot a combined 71 free throws. I mean, um, it's pretty wild the way that that was officiated. Um, the reason why Kansas State kept it within the margin they did is because of the work at the free throw line. But they also stopped turning the ball over as much in the second half. So um, that obviously helped. But when you, you you lose by 12, I think the greatest lead was 15 or 16, I want to say. And you only lead, Kansas State led for a minute and two seconds. I mean, as much as we're saying this too, like they, they still weren't as competitive as, as you'd like to see. I mean, every, I mean, every Big 12 game that Kansas has hosted this year, they've been a lot more competitive than what Kansas State showed last night. So um, that's a bummer in itself when you single it out like that. But at the end of the day, um, it only counts as one win. Jerome Tang told us that a few weeks ago when he was kind of laying out the rivalry in, in his own way. So it's still only one win for Kansas. It's still only one loss for Kansas State. And on Saturday, the Wildcats hold serve at home and defeat Texas and Bramlage Coliseum. They're back in first place. So as you know, problematic and as much as it sucks, I'm sure, for, for Kansas State fans that desperately want to win in Allen Fieldhouse because they haven't done so since 2006, um, the sun did come. Well, I don't know if did the sun come out today. I haven't been outside very much. <laughs> yeah, it, prob- it, it, it did. did. Yeah. Okay. Well, it probably did there. And you can get back in first place in a Big 12 on Saturday with the dub. Not only did it come out, D.Y., uh, a little bit warmer today as well. I think we're in the 40s, aren't we, uh, Travion? Yes. We're in the 40s today? 42 right now. All right. 42. I'll take it. Uh, melt some of that ice we have in our parking lot. <laughs> I just got to mention as well, I, there are a lot of things that, as a fan, just frustrated me the way things played out because I know K-State is good enough to go win a game in Allen Fieldhouse this team this year the bench points because you didn't get the performance out of Desi Sills you won to like the 24 points that would have been monster if we could have anything you know in the in double digits from Desi or from bench player that'd be fantastic but you know KU scoring 19 uh let me get this right yeah 19 off the bench is not characteristic of this KU team this year. They averaged less than nine points a game in the Big 12 play off the bench. That was maddening to me to see those bench players hit such huge shots at pivotal times. I've wanted to pull my hair out. I mean, that's why they won. Even Jerome Tang said that. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why they won, and I listed off those you know, five stats. But at the end of the day, when their role players play that well, that's real big for them. Dewan Harris and Kevin McCuller shot the shots that Kansas State wanted them to take. They just knocked them down when they typically don't, right? Kevin McCuller, two of three from the three-point line. Dewan Harris hit a couple of threes. Joseph Yesifu hit a, tr- hit a three. Zach Clements hit a three. I mean, they, when Kansas State's getting – or Kansas is getting that kind of production from guys like that, Dewan Harris scored 18 points. I mean, Kansas State – wanted to eliminate Grady Dick and Jalen Wilson, maybe not eliminate, but contain and limit them, they did, right? Combined, 7 of 23, I want to say, Grady Dick and Jalen Wilson. Now, Jalen Wilson still got 20 points, but it's better than the 38 he scored in Manhattan. Um, Grady Dick only scored 9, but DeWan Harris goes off for 18. Kevin McCuller, 16 because of his 10 converted free throws. So um, their role players, their bench players carried them, and that's why they won. And, you know, those... Things tend to happen a lot at home. Something that is interesting is Kevin McCullough fouled out of both games against Kansas State. Speaking with Derek Young from K-State Online, 
you mentioned, yeah, Yesufu hitting that three. I was like, yep, this is going to be that kind of night because he, he was one of seven from the floor. That one make was that three-pointer at a pivotal time. Uh, Ernest Uday, god dang it. He scored, got an and one. It was just one of those nights, I guess. Um, you mentioned the Texas game. The next two at home, Texas and TCU, must win games at this point. I mean, must win is probably a little tough to say. To, to you, kind of, in a way, yes, because the easiest path to a Big Twelve championship is to take care of business at home and be undefeated in at Bramlage Coliseum. You do that, you're in business because you already got the road wins at Texas and at Baylor. So, in a way, yes, because the most easiest path is to be unblemished at home. So, I kind of say that. Uh, you're probably getting Texas at maybe a right time. Like, they're one of the hotter teams in the league right now. I know they lost to Tennessee, but they've strung you know, a few of these Big 12 wins together. They just beat Baylor. This is a team that's kind of, for some reason, is quietly all alone in first place right now, and they're doing it with an interim head coach. Um, but they're going to be going into a little bit of a hornet's nest to pretty much Coliseum on Saturday. A crowd and the team, they'll be very hungry for a win because of the ramifications of that ball game. So I do like where Kansas State is positioned for these upcoming two games. I don't think it's a must win, but it is maybe a necessary one is a way to put it just because of the, you know, the magnitude of it and it being the easiest path to where Kansas State wants to get to in terms of uh, achieving their goals. And then if you look even further, like you said, Tuesday against TCU, another home game. Um, again, you kind of like where that has fallen because I would doubt, and I, I don't know if you have more information, but I would doubt that Mikey Miles will not be available. Yeah, that's uh, questionable. Yeah, I figured because his all his tests came back, you know, uh, negative. So like good things, right? Um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see if he does play this weekend. I I don't know. I I don't know. That would be uh, huge uh, if yeah, he didn't play for sure. The, yeah, one of the best players in the league. Um, you could make an argument that he's a candidate for Big Twelve Player of the Year as well. Yeah, a tremendous point guard for uh, for TCU. Uh, all right, let's take a timeout here, D.Y. When we come back with Derek Young, do you have one more question about the game last night? It had to do with the special guest in Allen Fieldhouse uh, last night. Plus, we'll jump to football. The 2023 schedule, replacing wide receiver coach, all coming up with Derek Young after these words. Back on the game, Mitch Fortner, Troy Coverdale, Travion Berkland is running the board today. 537-1350 is our phone number. We'll open up the phone lines here in just a little bit as we continue on our discussion with uh, Derek Young from Casey Online. The other Big 12 game yesterday was TCU prevailing over West Virginia at home. 76-72 to move to 6-3 in Big 12 play, so there is a uh, four-way tie now for second place in the Big 12 standings, but TCU did not play with did not have Mike Miles last night. Also, you know, other injury news for TCU. They also running into a bit of an injury bug as of late because uh, Eddie Lampkin was uh, not active for the Mississippi State game. Rondell Walker was also injured, but they did have Walker and Lampkin last night, who combined for two points. Uh, but stepping up big time for the uh, Horn Frogs, sixteen apiece from Baugh and Wells and uh, Cork scoring 15 for the Frogs to win by four points. 
We're back with Derek Young from Case Down Line. So to finish up on the uh, Sunflower Showdown topic, there was a Kansas City Chief in attendance, and the place exploded when they showed him on the big board. I could see him on uh, down there front row, clear as day. It's Travis Kelsey tied in for the Kansas City Chiefs. And um, after the game, he did go to the KU locker room for the celebration, also delivered a little bit of a speech. This was from Jalen Wilson. After the game, he said, quote, uh, he said something about, they're going for a championship and then telling them, you know, winning one championship as KU did last season is good, but winning two is even better. Now, my reaction to that was I, I didn't think it was that big of a deal that Travis Kelsey was there and went to the locker room afterward. I mean, heck, we all know Lawrence is basically Kansas City. Allen Fieldhouse and Arrowhead basically share a zip code. What was your reaction to that? I think you didn't like it as much. No, I mean, I, I brought it up, uh, obviously, on the social media just because I knew that there would be a mixed reaction and a mixed feelings uh, with that just because he did enter the locker room afterwards. You know, being on courtside and stuff, I think that's definitely harmless. But I knew some people would probably not particularly enjoy the whole locker room thing too much. But, I mean, he had a relatable message. So, personally, I don't have a big problem with it. I mean, it's his day off. He can choose to you know operate with it the way that he wants i mean there's going to be ku players that play for the chiefs k-state players play for the chiefs he didn't play for either one he goes in the locker room to me it's not a big deal i think some people are probably getting a little bit more fussy about it than what it probably deserves to be quite honest maybe we should uh, i say we chiefs fans i'm not a chiefs fan but uh am rooting for the chiefs uh anything for the eagles to lose um you know maybe sh- care a little bit more about him boozing you know 12 days out <laughs> he was drinking uh not courtside but he he was drinking as a matter of fact there was a video out there of him having pizza and he's like oh i'm pretty tipsy right now this pizza tastes pretty good yeah i'm sure practice went well today for for kelsey i don't know I, i'm sure they get a few days off to go enjoy the win and just take some time off before they really uh get big, going with practice and, and get to big Glendale. red big red said this is prep week that the prep is done this week, not next. Well, there you go. So, Maybe more of a grief with uh, with Travis Kelsey doing a little <laughs> boozing on a Tuesday night in Lawrence. I don't know. Maybe I'm making a big deal about it. All right. Football schedule is out, Derek Young. 12-0, right? Oh, yeah, you know it. I, the, they have their test on there. I mean, I, some people immediately see it and see and say it looks like a pretty soft schedule. Obviously, I think there's some good things about it and some probably not so comforting things as well. I I think it's going to be a challenge in the latter half of the year just because the bye comes so early. The bye is after the first conference game of the season. So they're already they're only going to be what four games under their belt, boom, bye week, which means you have to play eight straight without a week off. Um you do get the the home game and the the league to start it off this year so people don't have that to complain about this time, but uh, it's a weaker home schedule than what we're accustomed to seeing from Kansas State. So, I mean, going undefeated at home is definitely on the table. 12-0, and 0, um, they'll have their hands a little full with that, I would imagine, especially with, uh, I think it's a November trip to Texas. Uh, and one of the surprising parts about it, I think, was they have a Friday night game in Stillwater. 
weird, right? And I, I don't like it because I'm going to be calling a game that night, so I won't be able to watch it. I mean, from you know, probably for you, it doesn't really matter. Maybe it gives you a little bit more time off on the weekend. Yeah. yeah that, I mean, that's, that's exactly what it is. And <laughs> it does eliminate us from watching any high school players that, that particular week probably. But um, yeah, I was going to say from a coach's point of view, wouldn't that be kind of a pain? Uh, pain. I mean, they don't go to every, I go to a game every Friday, but, uh, I mean, if they were going every time they typically make that trip to Oklahoma, cause Kansas State recruits Oklahoma so, so much, they typically go see, you know, a guy from Oklahoma that on a Friday night before. And, and obviously they won't be able to do that this time. I don't know that that's, you know, terribly problematic. It probably isn't, I wouldn't say, but it's just strange on the schedule and, uh, it does come after the bye week, I believe. So you could still have a yep. typical seven-day buildup. So I don't think it'll interrupt any of that kind of preparation. Well, I'm just glad it's on the road. Uh, a Friday night game in Manhattan would suck. It, it really would. That would throw off so many people's schedules to be able to come to that game and try to sell their tickets. Like I don't know if you'd see a full house, certainly at the bill, if, if that were to take place. So, I mean, no Oklahoma on the schedule is one. But does it also feel soft just because you're seeing the new schools on the schedule, Houston and UCF, and you're thinking of them as a lesser program? Yeah, I think so. But when you don't, and we're it's it's really the new reality that we're living in. So we kind of have to, unfortunately, recalibrate what we deem as soft and what isn't. Because when you have a home schedule with all three of TCU, Baylor, and Iowa State in the new reality that we live in, in the, in the future big 12, that doesn't have a Texas or an Oklahoma, that might be the, the, you know, the, the flip, the time in the schedule, the way it falls in that particular year when your schedule isn't soft at home, but it feels that way now because we're not used to Kansas state, not having a Texas or an Oklahoma coming to Manhattan. So that's, we just got to kind of recalibrate because it's, it, it's really a, what'll probably be a common schedule moving forward once Texas and Oklahoma have departed the big 12 for the sec. And I think it's just kind of settling in the, just the fact that you're not going to have the Longhorns or Sooners coming to Manhattan. Yeah. No, no BYU, no Cincinnati, Oklahoma or West Virginia, BYU throwing a bone that uh, they won't have to deal me for deal with me for a game week. Uh, so I could really share about how I feel about them. Um, and also, I'm kind of glad that West Virginia is on the schedule. That's always a game that doesn't go as well as we had hoped it would, win or lose. Um, all right, let's move on to uh, Thad Ward. Thad Ward, one year as wide receiver coach, less than a year really, but one season. Uh, and he has moved on to, to coach the backs uh, for Illinois, who is where he calls home. Um, anybody on the radar right now, according to you, of who could possibly replace him? No, not firmly, not nothing that's really been substantiated by anyone that necessarily has knowledge of what direction that Kansas State's trying to operate in when it comes to hiring that Ward's replacement. You know, you, you hear all the, the common names that you're always going to hear when this vacancy is made, especially at the position. You, you know, the Stanton Webbers, the, the Cody Cooks, the Jake Waters, the Michael Smiths, the Andre Coleman's, because everyone just wants to link it to someone that's definitely connected or tied to Kansas state and, and has that bridge to, to pull from, but you know what? I'd be surprised if it was any of those names 
that I just shared. I, I think that, you know, a lot of those guys still, you know, sans Michael Smith and Andre Coleman, but those other three, not a lot of college football experience just yet. Stanton Weber, probably the most of those three with Cook and Waters being the other two. And I, I just don't, I would be surprised if it came from that group. Now, there is one, and I mentioned this on our Three Mall podcast today that we recorded. If there is one that starts to maybe boil up some consideration that does have some semblance of a Kansas State tie, I would look at Scotty O'Hara, the wide receivers coach at UTEP. He was once a uh, GA, I think, at K-State, and, and really made a name for himself. And he impressed a lot of people uh, at Kansas State at that time just by, you know, how knowledgeable he, he was at the game. And I think he had a lot of respect from those uh, um, at that point. I don't know if there was any overlap that he had with Colin Klein, but I think Scotty O'Hara um, of the guys that I've mentioned, maybe that's the one to at least keep an eye on. Cause I could, I could see that happening, but it's probably a better chance. That's someone off the reservation that we're not really aware of at this point. I mean, that's what happened when they hired Tremaine Carroll for the strength coach and that board for wide receivers coach. The last few hires, um, aside from Colin Klein and Joe Klanderman being permitted coordinators, the last couple hires from Chris Kleiman have been guys that haven't necessarily been front and center or the obvious hires. Speaking with Derek Young from Kingston Alliance, so to wrap up here, uh, as you know, it's it's signing time once again for football. We'll have a press conference tomorrow uh, with some of the new signees, some of the incoming freshmen, transfers. Um, for 2024, we learned just recently that three-star offensive lineman Ryan Howard, no, not the one from the office. He is Will Howard's younger brother, who is a big kid. He's what six six, uh, approaching three hundred. Is that about right? Over three hundred. Over, yeah. over three hundred. So he is. Uh, I mean, and if you see his picture, he looks a lot like Will, just chubbier, uh, of course. But I, I, my question about him for you is: Have you have you talked to him ever? Uh, a little bit, not extensively, but uh, yeah, definitely a big, big. Big kid, um, size of an offensive tackle, but I don't know if he has the feet of one yet or, or that kind of mobility. But I, someone that they're really, really like and that they're excited to land, and obviously he has pretty good pedigree because Will Howard's turned out pretty well for Kansas State. To expand on my previous question, where I get the idea for the question is from is because of the BBs. You're talking about two different personalities. I was wondering if you happen to know or have any idea of Ryan's personality compared to Will's, if they are similar or different like the BBs. We just lost him. Oh, my God. Uh, we need to figure that out. Uh, that was I thought that was a good question. <laughs> he just texted me. I got timed out, LOL. Uh, I'm going to text him the last question, see if we get an answer, and we'll go to our break. When we come back, uh, thank you, D.Y., for coming on. It's Derek Young from Case Online, everybody. Uh, the 40-minute timeline. Maybe that's my fault for going too long. I thought D.Y. was doing a great job today. All right, I'll, I'll text him the question. Maybe we'll get an answer after the break. But when we come back, not one, but two goats retire today. Up next.
It is the game on K-Man. Mitch Fortner, Troy Coverdale, and Travion Berkland. Phone number is 785-537-1350. Thanks to Derek Young for his time. I texted him the question. He has not got back to me. So, uh, that's a question. We'll find out sooner or later. Or an answer, rather. We'll find out sooner or later. Still to come... Hour two, we're going to hear from Marquise Noel and Keontae Johnson after the contest, plus the number one song of the day and Ask Us Anything. Cats lose last night, 90-78 to in Allen Fieldhouse. 17 straight losses for the Cats and Allen. That was my second time in that building. Second time and more nightmares. Didn't help me. Didn't help the Cats. No, no. You went to bed early. Listen, I've seen how many... K-State games at Allen Fieldhouse over the years. A 12-point deficit at halftime. We turned it over 10 times in the first half. (laughs) And KU was shooting lights out. Yeah, that's usually not a recipe for a comeback. Tom Brady retired earlier today. Real heartfelt message from the sandy white beaches of Tampa, Florida. Hi, I'm quitting. Toodaloo. I, I will talk to you all on the Fox Super Bowl broadcast. Actually, to be quite honest with you, I wish more <laughs> athletes would do it that way. Just a quick message, get it out of the way, call Pe- it a day. Peace out. Well, he made a great, I think he made a great call as well. He's already done the, the heartfelt essay. True. The first time around, he comes back for this last season, and it was a disaster for Tampa Bay. Yeah, they made the playoff. Sure, they won their division, but just trampled by the world champion in 40 years, Dallas Cowboys, or whenever Jerry Jones dies. Um, But he wasn't the only GOAT to call it quits today. And this might make me a bad sports radio host to say this. It was more emotional for me to hear about the latter, and that was Ozzy Osbourne. No, I'd be more apt the same way. So well, I mean, Tom Brady is the is the go to football, greatest yeah, quarterback I mean, of all time. I should say, you know, of the quarterbacks, greatest quarterback of all time, won seven Super Bowls. You know, has many records. Dude lost to Jake Plummer of the Broncos three times. Yeah, you win some, you lose some. <laughs> How many times did he beat Peyton Manning? Uh, actually, that was uh, more towards Peyton. Nah, I don't know about in the, that. In the end, it was more p- towards Peyton. Hmm. Somebody looked that up. What was the win loss between Peyton Manning and uh, and Tom Brady? Because that was the quarterback war for a, a while, right? When when Peyton was a Colt, yes. And Peyton won a whole bunch of those meetings, or uh, uh, Tom Brady had won a bunch of those meetings. Here we go. Nope. Oh, of course, you go to that rivalry one in the world. Your your live googling is hilarious. Thank you. But uh, you also. You don't use your thumbs. You're, you're a pointer. You use the pointer I finger. I swipe. But you also do that. You don't do it with your thumb. That's weird to me. One, two, three. Four, That's how my dad scrolls. So he uses it the way they use an iPad. But as you know, yeah, okay, yeah. But like, I'm used to anybody when they use a phone. It's with everything's with the thumbs, right? Okay, you ready for the for the numbers? Am I wrong? Brady went nine and three in the regular season. Okay. Manning was three and two in the postseason. Okay, so add that up for me. What it was eleven 12, and six. Eleven, 11 and five. Okay. Oh, eleven and six. Eleven and six. But the point being that Peyton won 
three of the five postseason matchups. I well, okay. Well, let's put it this way: uh, even though uh, Tom Brady might have been the better quarterback, the funnier guy <laughs> is Peyton Manning. <laughs> There's no doubt. He about has it. the chops to be funny. The only time I've ever laughed with Tom Brady uh, was his humor on Twitter recently. He's actually been a pretty fun follow when he does actually tweet. Uh, and, and I will give him credit. Last week he dropped some. Uh, he was Stephen F. Ja- uh, Stephen Sa- A. Samuel F. Oh, Samuel L. Samuel L. Jackson. Is yes. That what yeah. F. Because it's a anyway. Of yeah. Yeah. But Samuel F. Jackson because well he was dropping some of that in his podcast. Okay. That that's why. Yeah. But going back to Ozzy Osbourne. Screaming a God. That kind of uh, kind of ruined my day a little bit. Because he's had a really rough last few years. Couple of health setbacks. He's been trying to reschedule a tour for three years. And it, 2022 was a much better year for him health-wise. And yes, I mean, Ozzy Osbourne's an old man. But he's been still trying to get out there and tour. He's still making music. And I gotta say, the new music Ozzy's been making, it's actually pretty good. I don't know, Travion, would you agree with me? Yeah, it's all been produced by Andrew Watt, and he's really kind of given Ozzy a new breath in his career at this point. Yeah, I thought it's been I thought it's been good stuff. Under the Graveyard, I really enjoy that tune. Patient number nine. That that was a good one. That yeah. was a pretty good one. A lot of good songs off the new album, especially all the solos by the various guests. But Ozzy, you know, Ozzy put it out there that he's gonna have to retire due to health reasons. Uh, when it comes to touring, he might still make music, but he's no longer gonna tour. And that one hurts because he is at, he's one of the top performers on my list, my bucket list to see live. And I bought my dad tickets like four years ago to see him in concert. Same. Never got rescheduled. Like Marilyn Manson oh. was supposed to open in the Sprint Center, and it just never happened. I I still think even though he's an older man, it still would have been a fantastic show. But also, what also hits hard is like his story, and to see like his part of his music career coming to an end, it it hurts a little bit because Ozzy is one of the best comeback stories in music history because many people have left bands to go solo. That that is an extremely common thing. Most of it happens in pop music. Ozzy's story is a little bit different because of his own demons, drug and alcohol abuse. And that's what got him fired from Black Sabbath. Sharon Osbourne's dad signs him to a record label, but at the same time, he's a downworld spiral. Sharon goes and takes care of him because it's an investment at that point. Gets him in the recording studio, and what does he bang out right away? Blizzard of Oz. Crazy Train was his very first single. Follow that up with Diary of a Madman. And he became what is actually really hard to do, in my opinion, in rock music. Hard rock, heavy metal, and that's leave a band and go solo and be more successful than the band. Very few have ever done that. And Ozzy Osbourne is like the poster child, is the trailblazer to get that done. He outdid Black Sabbath after Mm -hmm. they fired him. That, to me, is a hell of a story. Not to mention his music is absolutely badass. Does, of course, mix in the Black Sabbath into his set. And I'm glad they, you know, got over their differences and became friends once again, 
with the Black Sabbath guys. And Black Sabbath did fine without him. Not as great. But Ronnie James Dio came around and was a lead singer. And they, Actually, before Ronnie James Dio was, uh, God, I can't remember his name, Dave something. There's actually somebody out there, believe it or not, that can say they're at once, at one point, the lead singer of Black Sabbath and Fleetwood Mac. And it was this guy uh, before Ronnie James Dio, and it became <laughs> heaven and hell. Nice. Thanks for the conversation, guys. Really nice. appreciate it. Um, yeah, that sucks. I'm not going to be able to see him in concert. And a lot of people will never get to see him. Uh, I feel like there's still the opportunity he'll do like one-off shows, but definitely not a tour, like you said. From a health standpoint, let's be perfectly honest. At this point, retiring from doing shows is probably by far and away the best thing for him. I, for health reasons, he probably should have done it a decade ago. Yeah, you're probably right. The flaw there is that, yes, we all understand that the touring is where the money is made nowadays. Who's who's the greatest performer to go from band to solo? Michael, of course. Oh. Be, Come on! I'll be quite honest with you. I don't think of Michael Jackson when I think you, you, of you. Just you just lofted that, that one up. That was an alley. That was a that was a Marquis Noel to Keontae uh-huh. Johnson alley oop slam dunk, one handed jam. Good grief! <laughs> Who was the worst? That's actually a good question. That's the better question. Who was the worst? Sting? David Lee Roth. Uh, I didn't mind Yankee Rose. I I would think Sting. I thought Sting solo was trash complete different style. Hour two next, your local news coming up.